This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. segment is Professor George Passaway. He's an educator, entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. Uh, he's a sociology and career development professor at Brant and Stratton College in Wauwatosa. He's going to have to correct my pronunciation, I'm sure. Uh, Wisconsin. As an author, he's published four books. Two of them are children's books entitled Lila's World and One Day I Will Become an Alpha. His other two books are his best-selling book, How Black College Students Learn Code Switching and the Expanded Second Edition. As as an entrepreneur, he's the founder of Educare Publications, a book publishing company that integrates publishing inside the classroom and workspace settings. Professor Passaway, it is such a pleasure to have you with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have been watching with some fascination these conversations about code switching. Uh, they're very, it's a very political conversation in many ways, and I, I'm looking forward to getting into that with you. Uh, but just so the audience is clear and so we have a universal understanding of the definition that we're using here, can you define for us what code switching is as you see it? Yeah, so uh, code switching essentially is the practice of adjusting one style of speech appearance, behavior, or expression to a particular context or situation. So that's the definition. And it's something that we all do naturally as human beings. Uh, code switch is not like a black or white thing or a race thing or a nationality thing or a gender thing. It's something that we all do. Um, and we're going to discuss how there's a more heavier burden for people of color when it comes to code switching. It's funny that you say it's something that we all do, because even though I think intellectually a lot of us recognize that, it's typically when you hear about code switching, it is a function of the black community um, attempting to figure out how to manage uh, navigating within non-black spaces. And yet, I got to be honest with you. I, so I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. And so I remember debates about Ebonics. I remember debates about, you know, are we teaching teachers to understand how to speak jive, right? And it was a very controversial thing. And it was like, are we, you know, are we going to spend money teaching professors how to say ain't and how to have double negatives in their sentences, which was a complete, in my perspective, and I think the scholarship would bear this out, a mischaracterization of what the Ebonics effort was. Uh, but can you talk with us a little bit about how your take on uh, code switching, how that fits into the broader discourse about black English um, and whether or not this is something worthy of study in and of itself. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, uh, I conducted a research study uh, back in 2015 on code switching. Um, essentially, um, I identified a gap within the research on code switching. What that gap was that um, a lot of research study focus on why people do it, the gender differences and uh, those structures, but no one actually um, explored how code switching is actually learned. So once I figured out that gap, I decided to do a research on it and see how um, black college students actually learn to code switch. And through that research, I found that, uh, that black college students learn to code switch in three main ways. And the first way is through instruction. So this happened at a much younger age, whether it's by like their parent or guardian or teacher, you know, kind of teaching them, you know, this is the proper way to say such, such, and this is how you navigate um, yourself in certain settings. Um, the second way is through observation. Now, mm. um, participants in my study reported that they learned to code switch through observations uh, once they got 
on a campus, uh, a predominantly white campus. So essentially um, they were outside looking in, observing how um, like their professors uh, communicated or how their white peers communicated or anything. And they took mental notes on those cues. And when they got, it's time for them to interact with them, they took the, uh, utilized, implemented those mental notes within their, their interactions. And the last way we find out that uh, how coastal students learn is through interaction. This is actually stepping in, having a conversation with someone, seeing what is understood, what is not, like finding either a mainstream way of communicating that or providing education to that person on what was actually meant through that, that interaction. So, and the reason this research is so important is because um, now we get to see how this thing's actually learned and maybe we can use this information to uh, disseminate and share um, of how these how is learned and how, how is actually linked to some of adverse effects that is faced now mm. within realizing uh, code switching. So, but that's essentially um, my take on code switching, the gap that I found and in, in this new information that I've been sharing. And it's really been opening up this new doors, uh, new discourse on code switching that essentially hasn't been explored yet. So this is interesting to me. Now, I, I spent uh, a significant portion of my childhood in other countries. Um, I was born in Germany. My parents were military. Um, I spent some time in Caribbean countries, Latin American countries. And I've always, at least in my mind, and I'm going to lay this out for you, then I want you to, to push back on it or help me figure out if I'm, if I'm on the right path to understanding where you're going with this. You know, if I am a Spanish-speaking student, and I uh, immigrate to America, and I'm now in an English-speaking class where I have to learn math, I have to learn science, I have to learn all of these things in a language that I do not know, then I have to learn the basic skills of how to present in that class, how to talk with my classmates, how to interact with my teacher. Now, I might know the subject matter in Spanish, right? I might know, I might be full, I might have already taken this class before in my Spanish-speaking country, but I'm here in America, they think I'm dumb because I have an accent, so they put me in this class that I've already done. I already know these biological concepts. I already know these mathematical concepts. I've already studied this stuff, but I did it in another language. And so I'm here now in your classroom where I speak Spanish, you speak English. If I were to communicate with my classmates in Spanish about this same topic, if I were to answer my teacher's questions, but just do it in Spanish, I'm communicating perhaps correct information, but I'm communicating in a language that the audience cannot understand. So like right now, you and I both speak English. Do you speak, do you speak Spanish by any chance, professor? Very little, but not much. So if I were to start <laughs> rattling off the rest of this conversation in Spanish, then it would be perhaps the same thing I would be saying in English, but it would be the wrong language for this audience. Is that sort of what code switching is getting at? It, because I've always felt like black English is its own language. It's got its own rules, its own syntax. And we know it's, it's, it's got its own rules because when somebody who don't speak black English natively come up and try to speak it, we'd be like, mm -mm. like you're, first of all, I don't know who you the feds, like something's wrong with how you talk. <laughs> So how is code switching different from any other form of becoming multilingual or is it? Yeah, you raised a great point. So um, essentially code switching is like meeting people where they are at linguistically, mm. right? So regardless of that environment that you're in, you raise a good point in my book. I share that example of a person being bilingual, both uh, Spanish and English. They know exactly when to employ Spanish and when to employ English. Um, and it's also being adaptable. Um, and we have found that uh, through research that people who co-switch, right, uh, for the right reasons and on their own terms, 
Mm. They're avoiding some identity conflicts that comes with it because we find that code switching can be a tool, but on the contrary, it has some downsides to it, right? Like identity conflict, you mm. get to find yourself experiencing um, imposter syndrome. It's exhausting. Uh, sometimes it can feel like a requirement. And we found that those who are feeling feeling those adverse effects haven't developed their self-concept of code switching. In my book, wow. I share it with readers how we can develop our self-concept, meaning where we make deliberate choices about when and where we do it, how we switch it or what we switch. Um, and, and so taking on this lens um, is really important as we're um, navigating these spaces to avoid those conflicts as well. Can we talk about the downsides just for a little bit? I, I have a lot of folks in my mentions right now who are like, I'm a Gen Xer. We had to learn how to code switch to get along with you. And I get it. Same. Um, but let's talk about the way that there can be negative reactions as a result of code switching. So if I haven't read your book and I haven't sort of grown to, to, be, to, to develop that later uh, skill that you just referenced, what are some of the downsides? What were some of the harms that you were able to observe in your study um, that can come from code switching without the type of intentionality you just referenced? Yeah. So one uh, could be uh, one is that you is associated with identity conflicts, right? Especially when you're code switching so much and it's not deliberate, you kind of lose a sense of who you are, right? Mm. Um, you kind of, in a sense, like um, watering down or diluting your most authentic self. And at least the second point is that those who code switch not on their own terms or for the right reasons. Um, kind of get to, they rip away their, their most authentic selves, right? So they're not being their most authentic self in whatever space they're in that they're co-switching. Um, another one is that it's exhausting, it's tiring. Um, it can feel like a requirement. Um, and, and all these factors just create, rather it's a workspace or um, a, uh, a learning space, it just brings a more toxic environment, right? If you're feeling, you know, you're, you can't be your true authentic selves, you know, it just adds that more burden even more. And then another one outside looking in um, of the downside is that uh, let's say a person of color is watching someone code switch, you know, they get accused of like, I'm sure you heard it talking white or mm -hmm. acting white yep. or vice versa. If um, uh, uh, let's say a white person uh, tries to employ bionics and things of that sort, right? They, they be accused of cultural appropriation and, and so much more. So that's some of the the adverse effects of it. And for your listener, I have a question I want people to think about. Do, do they believe that code switching can be the downside in the progress of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Right? It's a really interesting question because if you think about the work that I do is really diversity, equity, inclusion focus. And right, equity is about you know, making things equal, including people and on all this, creating this, watching these really great spaces. But sometimes code switching can be a downside to that progress. So mm. those are some of the adverse effects. And again, the research we found that once we develop our self-concept of it, that we can avoid those, um, mitigate those identity conflicts. So the name of the book is How Black College Students Learn Code Switching. And this idea of intentionality seems to, to feature prominently in what I hear you saying. And, and I, I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. So this is what I heard. I feel like I heard you say when I'm code switching and I don't even know it and I'm just doing it because I'm adapting into new spaces and I want to like make sure that I fit in and I'm not like, you know, an ostracized outcast. And if I do that in such a way that it's not even thinking, it's just sort of the, the mask I put 
put on when I enter these spaces. That feels to me, based on what you're saying, like something different than me saying, all right, Larry, we finna go into this place. You know these white folks don't understand how we gonna talk, so we gonna speak in a language they can understand. I'm gonna say the same damn thing I would be saying with my girls, but I'm just gonna say it in a way that it's a bit more palatable uh, to the white ears such that I can able to remove my, my colloquialisms and I'm able to raise my voice or communicate in a way that it's just going to be more palatable for the room. What I heard you say is, uh, scenario A is I'm at risk of losing myself because I have, there's no intentionality there and I am just trying to like get along, go along to get along. Whereas in section B or in option B, I am kind of like that Spanish speaking student who recognizes I'm about to walk into a room where people speak English. They don't speak Spanish. I'm going to speak English because I know that I want to be heard. A am I hearing you correctly? Is that a, a correct interpretation of what you're saying? That is precisely, that is on point. Um, and to um, piggyback off that. So in my research, uh, one of the questions that I asked research participants were, when you code switch, does it happen consciously or unconsciously? Mm. Those who reported that it happened unconsciously were the ones who were experiencing those identity conflicts. And those who wow. were um, reported that code consciously were the ones who kind of like figured things out they had there. They were strong with, you know, like you said, when and where they did it and the reasons why. Um, going back to the definition is about how we adjust either our speech, appearance, behavior, or expression, those who mm. were close with you unconsciously were like adjusting all four of those factors. Instead, those who were close with you consciously were like, okay, I'm going to this certain spaces. I'm not going to change my expression or my appearance, but I will, wow. you know, change, you know, how I talk or whatever occasion be. So this deliberate approach of it is really, really beneficial because at the end of the day, like I said, we're all going to do it, especially when we're navigating professional spaces, right? There, there's a time and place for everything. So we're going mm -hmm. to be doing it. So in my whole work and I'm doing this, like if you still choose a code switch, you feel like it's a value to it for you. Here's how to do it in a way where you feel like you're in full control of it and not vice versa. Mm, okay. So I'm, I'm going to share with you a situation that happened with my daughter and I a couple of days ago. Uh, she's eight. We're in the car. Uh, we're in a lift. And she and I are talking. We, you know, we had just left the house. So we're still using our in the house kind of language. And she was using the in the house kind of language in the car. And I corrected something that she said. I, I framed it in standard American English. I shouldn't say I corrected. That's that's wrong. Ooh, I translated something that she said because correcting her language would indicate that what she said was wrong. And it wasn't wrong. It was completely appropriate for our internal space. But I translated it for her into standard American English. And she was like, well, I would say it like this at home. Like we ended up having an actual conversation about this. She's very precocious. And she's like, well, I, I would say it like this at home. And I said, yes, you would. And it would be totally correct. But mommy's job is to make sure that you understand how to also say it in another language so that when you are not at home, you'll be able to communicate in a way and still be heard. Did I, did I mess that up? Was that a good lesson, professor? Should I have done something different? Like what, what should I do if I'm trying to be intentional about helping my children to code switch in such a way that they're not losing themselves? How should we as parents uh, be thinking about transmitting these, this message to our children so that they are able to be in the second group, the group that's doing so intentionally and only on uh, the, the parameters for which they find most important? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Thanks for sharing that that, that situation that happened. Um, you were not wrong at all, um, and I think it's important as parents, especially as we're you know teaching our our kids how to navigate certain spaces, that we need to provide that education. That's what you did, um, and and just showing them both sides of it, right? Like that translation piece you you shared. Um, but for parents that's listening, I think that the most important thing is one, providing education, letting them know 
hey, you know, um, who, let's let them know their identity, right? Whatever it is. And um, to show them that, uh, you know, certain, you know, you who you are, most times aren't accepted in certain spaces. That's just the harsh reality of the world we live in, America, mm-hmm. right? And here's how to navigate the space, but here's how to still be your most true authentic self as well. Mm-hmm. And with that translation piece, um, in my book, I have a whole section where my goal is to educate and bring awareness of either, uh, you know, Black English or Ebonics, whatever, you know, phrase we use now. So in the book, I have over um, 100 uh, phrases and terms and is translated into like mainstream English. And the whole point is for my readers to understand Black English, because as you mentioned, one of the reasons why people of color, especially Black people tend to co-switch because their bonus isn't understood. So if I can bring this guide, right, of all these terminologies and people are studying it and when they see another person of color, you know, use these terms, right? They understand it and, and like, what? What are you saying? And so I feel like what I'm doing is helping to uh, decrease um, the the usage of, you know, people of color code switching. But, so is is it that then that the book is for non-Black code switching people to learn about what code switching is? Or is the book for uh, to empower black people who code switch to be able to be more intentional about where, how, how and why they are doing so? Yeah, it's for both. Um, mm-hmm. There's sections. Well, the whole book is, is, is for anyone in general just to learn more about it. Um, but it's, it's focused, focused, focused on both um, you know, non-black and black people who um, know something about code switching, instantly inter- inter- learn something about code switching and more. So it's, it's, it's really focusing and meeting both, both sides. So I got to be honest with you, when I, I heard that there was the glossary, of, I guess, of, of sorts that defines the words, part of me, I just had a visceral reaction. I was like, don't be telling these people our language. Like, you're going to be giving away the secrets. You can't be, they're going to act like they can come to the cookout. But then I, I went back to that example of a Spanish-speaking child in an English classroom. You, It would be helpful to have a Spanish language to English language dictionary so that people would be able to pick up on what I'm saying in a slightly different way. So I, I think for me, one of the challenges I have is that whenever we're talking about code switching, it, it, it feels so politicized and it feels like a survival skill. Uh, and so to hear someone say, well, we all code switch. Technically, that is true. But I feel like my life or death or my quality of life or death might depend on my ability um, to do so either effectively or not. And so when you're thinking about uh, the students in the study and when you're thinking about what they have had to navigate, this idea of code switching without intentionality and code switching in all four of those parameters that you outlined, were you able to determine, determine what it was about those students that caused them to think that that was the most appropriate way? Because it sounds like these are students who didn't themselves get like a lesson on how to code switch. This was just sort of a study of their natural tendencies. Were you able to unpack any reason or that distinguished these two groups? What was at the cause, at the root of one group choosing to only code switch in a particular way and the other doing so wholesale? Yeah. And what I found that was really interesting to me was that um, a, a I'll say about 70% of my participants were co-switching intentionally. Mm. And that blew my mind. Uh, And here's why. They were co-switching to debunk negative stereotypes that were associated with their race. And one of them was um, that a lot of uh, the attendees reported was that 
they were saying how, you know, one of the, the myths is that, you know, Blacks don't know how to speak proper English or don't know how to carry themselves to dress well. So they were co-switching intentionally to debunk those myths. Essentially, they were co-switching to change the narrative. And that was really, really interesting that I found. Um, and, and for those who were uh, on the other spectrum, who weren't co-switching for, you know, to change the narratives or things of that sort, they were just co-switching because they felt like that was what was required of them, right? Being mm. students of color at a predominantly white setting. And so they were just co-switching, like I said, they felt as requirement is, is a way of life. And and that's not a good way to go about co-switching, right? You mm. never feel like a requirement. So always to be by choice and things of that sort. But that was the differences that I found from, from the research. Man, this this raises so many questions for me, Professor, because now I'm wondering at well, OK, I, I'm realizing we're about to go into a commercial break. So we're going to come back on the other side of this break. Uh, but I want to, to really sort of interrogate that a little bit, because the idea even of code switching intentionally to debunk negative beliefs that other people have about us. I've done that. I am. That is I have done that. So I don't want to act like that ain't something that Lurie has done. Lurie has done that. And I when I was in college, I did it and I was Africana studies major. Uh, but I did. And I have done it at work. I've done it in a variety of these spaces. And I wonder about even the health of that. Right. Is it healthy to engage in this behavior, not simply to be understood, but to add to the desire to be effectively understood this notion that I can only be effectively understood if I make myself more palatable to you and thereby disrupt your belief um, of the negative stereotypes about me and so I'm, I'm wondering have we then at that acknowledgement shifted from being simply that Spanish-speaking student or that German-speaking student in an English classroom who wants to be understood to a more political uh, element which is really seeking to ameliorate some of the harms that have been caused by racism in this country. 866-801-8255 866-801-TALK is the number Are, have you code switched before have you done so in either of the scenarios that Professor Passaway referenced either uh, wholesale without really uh, distinguishing uh, where and how you were going to show up in that space or were you a bit more intentional about it 866-801-8255 866-801-TALK uh, Professor I, I wanted to get back to that question that we left off with just before the end of the last break and that is a, a question about the political nature of code switching. And you referenced that a number of the students in your study, I believe you said 70% uh, were code switching intentionally uh, and that a significant portion of them were doing so to dispel negative stereotypes about black people. And my question for you was, uh, is that good? Is it a good thing that we engage in code switching, not simply to be understood as if we were translating from one language to another, uh, but is it okay uh, that part of our code switching uh, calculus and, and the decisions that we make about code switching, is it okay that sometimes that decision is based on trying to convince other people that we're actually fully human? Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question. And for me, I'm halfway in between. I see the the benefits of doing that, then I see the the adverse effects of it, the negative of doing that. Um, and so I'll start with the, the the benefits of it. So the benefit I see of doing that is that if you look at it, when it comes to white America, eighty percent of white white America live in rural areas where they don't see a lick of black person mm. ever. And then other 20% have or have some type of exposure to people of color. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. How much percent live in places where they don't? I, I heard the number and I said, mm, but then I said, hold on, that can't be correct. What is the percentage? 
So 80% of white America live in rural areas where, as you know, you, <laughs> there's no diversity there. It's strictly white farming area and, and whatnot. And 20% of white America live in like the, either uh, cities or suburban areas and they get some type of exposure to people of color. And when you get to campus, you get a, a mixture of both. And I think it's important that um, students of color code switch, I can see the benefit of the code switch to provide the education. Like, hey, you know, whatever you see in the media is not the, the generalization of all the types of people. And then on the other side, I see the, the downside of that. It's like, if you're code switching just to show one that you're not the general person of color, that's, that can get bad. It can get exhausted. It can go, you can find yourself back in that spiral of those adverse effects. And the whole question lies, or the whole thing is that we need to challenge and address these systemic um, inequalities, meaning like this white dominant culture, especially um, when it comes to people of color navigating these predominantly white spaces. Mm. It's like, we need to challenge that particular norm. Like what those expectations um, and, and it goes all goes through like advocating and doing the work of um, cultural competency, cultural awareness, cultural sensitivity, having those tough, you know, uncomfortable conversations, um, and just being aware that resistance is going to come when you're having these, these mm. this conversation or these initiatives. But if we're persistent with it, right, these 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 tough conversations will actually get through to certain people. And especially when it comes to code switching, if we're having conversations of like people of color code switching, not just to be understood, but to debunk negative stereotypes, it can really open a dialogue um, for if this is certain actually needed and what we can do to welcome people and what we can do to just take the burden of people of color, essentially just come to code switching. So mm. that's my thoughts on your question. I feel okay. like it can both be the benefit and the negative at the same time. You know, I was thinking about when I was talking with my daughter, one of the reasons that we were able to have that type of a conversation, honestly, is because she comes from a household where she is taught black history. And so she's very clear about what's happening in the world. She's very clear about, you know, racial dynamics from an eight year old's perspective. But frankly, that, you know, is more than some adults do. So I think uh, this conversation about intentionally code switching coupled with uh, an, a lifelong education about who you actually are as a black person, what it means to navigate this space. I think those two hand in hand can be effective, but I worry about those families who don't have that. That that other element to me feels very, very key. Uh, let's get one of our callers on the line. We have Joanne, a first time caller from the great state of Tennessee. Hello, Joanne. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you so much for accepting my call. I'm enjoying this conversation, this topic today. I believe that we learn to navigate code-switching, even without the label of it being code-switching, we learn to navigate that as children. Mm. And it's if it's taught properly by our parents or guardians, whoever's raising us, we learn that we might say yes to our peers, but we say yes ma'am or no ma'am to an adult. Mm. We, we might use certain language or certain colloquialisms or slangs around our friends, even as children, but we know not to do that in settings around our adults, our teachers, our, our pastors, or whomever. And then as we get older, our, we might find out that our parents, teachers, older cousins don't mind us 
saying yes as opposed to yes, ma'am. But that's something that's taught as children, or at least it should be, because with, our, with my nieces and nephews and godchildren, oh, you don't say yes to me, or you just don't call me by my first name that's unless right. I allow you to. That's right. And that, that, that in itself is the, I think, the, the, the first lessons of navigating code switching, even as children. Professor, thank you so much for that call, Joanne. And uh, Professor Passway, I want to get your thoughts on that, but I know your time with us is short, so I want to crowdsource a couple of these calls. We've, let's get Aaron from Wisconsin, another first-time caller, and then we can have you respond to both of those so we can get you out of here to your next meeting. Uh, Aaron from Wisconsin, a first-time caller. Hey, Aaron, what do you have to say to the professor this morning? Well, I'd just like to say, I mean, you know, I find myself increasingly being the only black person in a lot of the situations that I'm in. And I do, uh, I'm primarily, I, I do stage work. I'm a stagehand. I've been in radio before, you know, and there's, there's no situations. Like, you know, when I was growing up, most of the kids were listening to Houdini and Art, uh, Run DMC. I was listening to Kiss and, you know, Led Zeppelin. So <laughs> that right there puts me in a certain situation where, you know, I'm not always in the, constant uh, company of black folks that are like-minded. So, I think a number of us can relate to that, Aaron. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Professor, what do you say to both of those callers? Yeah, so for the first one from Tennessee, um, she raised a great point. Like This happens way before even you know, conceptualizing what code switching is. It's something that we just do uh, naturally, um, how we navigate, how we communicate. We know exactly how we gonna communicate with our family and friends. It'd be much different how we communicate with our colleagues. Um, and just go back to that, that, that natural trait of knowing, of essentially conduct ourselves differently, either in informal or formal settings. And uh, for Aaron, I uh, raised a great point. Like we all have been there um, being um, like the only whatever race or ethnicity in one room, it yep. can become daunting. Um, and you feel a pressure to like represent that entire race or that entire ethnicity. And um, I talk about this in my book as well, how being uh, in underrepresented settings can propel one to code switch even more. Mm. Um, it's go back to like representing your own race and put them in that in 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 great light. And it's like, it's up to you to do that. There's so much pressure to do that. So. I definitely relate. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was reminded, I saw Chet Hanks was in uh, the social media news this weekend. Uh, he's Tom Hanks' son. And he has, you know, come become kind of famous for, I guess, other things. I don't know. I only know of him for this. But he imits Jamaican patois. And so he does it. I guess he spent, he's, you know, from what I've seen in the reporting, he spent some time at the Rastas. And so now feels that he can just sort of, he can just do that, like, randomly, just sort of out of nowhere. But that's not the same thing. And the reason I raised that is because because I was thinking, okay, if I'm a black person in an all-white room, I get it. But if a white person comes into an all-black room, I don't want them code switching, Professor Passaway. I don't want them picking up black English. I don't want them consulting the little glossary in the corner and coming back talking about, yo, what it do, my dogs? Like, I don't, I don't want that happening, right? So isn't there also a power dynamic because of the racial stratification within our society? Like, I, I don't know that I would be comfortable with a white person code switching in a black space the same way I would see a black person be like, you better adopt this survival skill because keeping the white people comfortable has determined the ability for many of 
us to do a lot of the things that we want. There's a, to me, there doesn't seem to be an equivalent. Uh, it's not equal on that in that type of analysis. What do you say to that? I agree 100%. I agree 100%. There's a fine line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, mm. which we definitely understand, right? And for my reasons with the my glossary that I have is more for cultural appreciation and understanding. Because mm. I feel like like English for me is really misunderstood. It wasn't for to, to, to gather folks around and say, hey, I have everything I need to do. I know, you know, and then go in and start utilizing Black English. And you know, I talk about the actual purpose of this glossary is for Black English to be understood. Mm. Um, because like I said, it's not understood. It's, it's deemed as an intellectual way of speaking. But that's not the case. If you see these terms and you translate it to the definition, like, oh, okay, this makes so they can understand what's going on. Um, but again, goes back to that fine line, cultural appreciation and appropriation. I'm all about the appreciation side of things and becoming culturally aware, sensitive, and competent on the issue. I love it. Let's get one more of these callers in. Anne from North Carolina. Thank you so much for calling Anne. What do you have to say to Professor Passaway? Yes. Oh, this is a great topic. I was Thank really you. trying to get my thoughts together. So look, this is what I think. And I would like the professor and you to tell me, I'll hang up and let you, you respond. But being able to code switch, which to me is, is also being able to be bilingual, which we don't get credit for. Mm, but it's yes. another way that African-Americans have the death to be the, to be a strong race that is able to navigate and survive more so than almost any other race, because they want to present themselves as they are all the time, and they don't see the need in, in doing anything different. But we have recognized the need, as, as Marie, as you have said, to survive. And the only reason that we may not survive is because Caucasians are trying to kill us, or they are trying to instigate us to kill each other. But I think code switching, I don't want to get off topic, I think code switching just points to our death as a people. Mm. And, and I love this topic. I'm going, I'm going to buy your book, all right? And I'm going to hang up and let you guys respond. So, Professor, what are, what are your thoughts on what, what our caller had to say there? Um, if you can summarize her, her, her points for me, so I can make sure I... So, I, if I understood it correctly, I think it was speaking to this idea that sometimes code switching speaks to our detriment when really it is more of a survival skill. And caller, if I misinterpreted that, my apologies. Uh, but if you could speak to the survival skill nature of code switching, and I think you've alluded to this a bit in the beginning, but if you could just sum up for us why it is that this is a skill set. And, and I used to mistakenly call this the keep white people comfortable skill set until I began to realize that, no, this is something that all people do. And we are bilingual. Like when you speak ebony phonics, ebonics, uh, you, and you then can also speak standardized English, American English, I should say, because the way that y'all speak English in this country is not the same way uh, that people in England speak English. Uh, so if I'm able to do that, shouldn't I be also considered bilingual? <laughs> right. It's a great point. Um, so for me, um, like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a human thing we all do is naturally. And just think about this. Think about how we tend to co-switch when we're traveling to another country, right? Before mm -hmm. we travel, we're intentional about learning that new culture, whether it's language, we're intentional about um, just observing this, this place before we go. But why do we do that? Why do we co-switch when we travel? For one, it makes navigating much easier, right? Mm -hmm. This new unfamiliar place, how to survive it. Two, we do so to establish new connections and relationships with people. Three, we do so to be uh, understood and to understand that, that new space, right? 
And the same goes with code switching. And those are some of the same reasons why we tend to do it on this day-to-day basis. Mm. And that's another reason, again, that, that illustration of how we all do it. I love it. Professor Passaway, it's been a real pleasure having you here. Uh, where can people get the book and how can they follow you uh, between now and the next time we connect? Yeah, so um, you can find the book um, at uh, educarepublications.com. If you go search books, you'll find it there. Um, or you can also find it on my uh, my public speaking platform at the LLC.com. Click books and you'll have it there. Uh, you can also follow me um, on social media, both Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter um, at the LLC. That's our hashtag. So that's where you can engage further and continue this, this dialogue. He is Professor George Passaway, the author of How Black College Students Learned Code Switching. Uh, get the book at his website. Uh, this is an important conversation, and I think it's one that we have only really scratched the surface of. But I really appreciate you giving us some of your time this morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. 